I used to have a struggle when I was a kid, when I was in second, third grade, actually about third grade, fourth grade. Um, My my mom was, my parents were separated and my mom was a house cleaner. That's what she did mainly to, um, to put food on the table. And she usually had about five, six jobs at any given time. And so she would be gone, you know, five in the morning till like six o'clock at night. And then when she got home, she would have to do all the other stuff um, of child rearing and everything else. And so she didn't, she didn't sleep until, um, until 10 years after we left the house. But uh, she, she worked very hard. I have a sore, or not a sore, but a sweet spot in my heart for, for single moms. Um, because I, I grew up with my mom as a single mom, and she worked stinking hard. And so I give her a hard time, as any kid does, especially me, because I was a hard kid. Um, and so she would make lunches for me, and I would go off to my school. Now, I went to a school called um, High Point Academy, and it sounds rich, and it was rich. It's because my dad helped pay the bill for it, um, and I went, and I stuck out like a sore thumb, uh, because I was the poor kid at a rich, rich school in Pasadena. And I got the pleasure of going there for about three or four years, which was great. Um, but I remember every time I looked out of place was during lunchtime. Because lunchtime was the time the kids would bring their gold-plated uh, uh, lunch boxes filled with, you know, a plethora of Twinkies and, and just amazingly wrapped and packed good food. And I would pull out my nasty-looking lunch sack that my mom put together with love, but was with the little bit that we had, you know. I wasn't surprised if I opened it up and there was just a can of mustard. Okay, good! I got mustard today. Uh, no, but she would make these sandwiches, and sometimes they'd be great. Sometimes I hated them, okay. They, I don't know what the meat is, but it was like a bologna with little bits of things in it. It was gross, to a fourth grader, and I would look at it, and it wasn't like five pieces, it was one piece on two pieces of bread, not enough mustard and mayo to go around to actually cover the taste of nastiness, and I just remember sitting there, and everybody would be trading food, I don't know if this was your case, but we'd sit outside in our area, and oh, I'll give you two Twinkies for one Mountain Dew, and you know, I mean, it was all that, nobody traded with me, ever, (laughs) because my food was so pathetically bad, and I would make jokes about it, Um, but in my heart, I just remember going, this is all we've got. And I was conflicted. And I remember there was many times where I would get those sandwiches and I would grab them and I would try. I would take a bite maybe, but it was like, oh, and sometimes I would eat the bread because that's all I could eat. Um, And then I would just take them and I'd throw them away. And every time I threw it away, I had this stab of guilt because my mom, I hear hear her words in in my head, we don't have much money. Don't waste food, you know? And what was I doing? I was taking the food that she worked very hard for and I was throwing it away. And as a fourth grader, I just felt guilty. I still threw it away every time. <laughs> but even to this day, I can, still, I can still feel that in the pit of my stomach. And some of you, well, let's just, every single one of you have battled with guilt at one time or another. And I, being older from when I was then, I'm old enough to know that I've still struggle with guilt. I still struggle with those feelings in the pit of my stomach that are like warning signs saying something's not right, something's not good. And, and I just, I really believe this is the offering in the book of Leviticus that we're looking at today that's for you and me. Because every single one of us struggles, amen? Every single one of us lives in a broken world where you take two steps, you're bruised, you're bleeding, and you feel the guilt. I married a Greek. I love the Greeks. 
But have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? They're notorious for heaping on the guilt. My wife feels guilty just waking up. (laughs) And I have to tell her all the time, you don't need to feel guilty for something you you didn't do. But that's the case, isn't it? We're going to struggle with guilt. And so I am so excited today because we're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus again in our series, Holding Nothing Back. Because as we looked at the offerings and as we've been looking at these offerings that God has set aside for His people to show grace, to show that picture, those symbols of grace in a God who draws near first to us, we can see the person of Jesus that He's given us to not make us feel guilty. And that's what I really want you to get here. I'm not here, God doesn't want to make us feel guilty, but He wants us to get real and deal with our guilt. Amen? We need to look at this the right way. And so I want to take you on this um, through this, and before we, we get started and stand up and, and, and hear God's word, I just want to reemphasize a little bit on what we looked at. And the first offering was the burnt offering. And that was truly about seeking God. It was all about God. Remember, the burnt offering was consumed, all of it, 100% of it, before the Lord. Nobody got anything, but it was all God's. Basically saying, hey, if you're, if you're going to come to me, first and foremost, everything needs to be given. Holding nothing back. That was... The first offering. The second offering, the green, the grain or the, or the peace offering, was truly about serving others. See, first we, we give everything to God, and then secondly, we give to others. Sound familiar? Jesus said it. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and then love others as yourself. Love God, love man. That's what we see in this first two offerings. Then the, the peace offering, I'm sorry, I called that second offering the peace offering. Um, the peace offering, which is the third one, was all about sharing God's kingdom sharing the peace of God that he brings to us. And fourth, that sin offering, which we looked at last week, was about being real and allowing God to deal with our secret sin, the things that we don't always talk about inside. All right? So now we have the opportunity today again to look at the, uh, the guilt offering. And the, the take-home truth that I want to give to you right now, the take-home truth is very simple, and it goes like this. Holding nothing back means we stop trying to scam God and steal from others and trust him with our day today. Amen? So let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word and pray. So please stand with me as we pray and read God's word. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the fact that we can be your body. That that you sent us your son in spite of ourselves, because of who we are, because of how imperfect we are. You sent your son You didn't just say, get right, now come to me. No, you came to us in the midst of the gutter. You came to me in the midst of the mud and the miry clay, and you pulled me out. You got your hands dirty. You stepped into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that your offerings show us your grace, that your offerings reveal your son Jesus every step of the way. Thank you. Lord, this church is all about connecting, growing, and serving. May we see that today as we look at your word. But may it more than just something we look at and see, it's something we, we do and we become a part of as we partner with you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now remain standing here. We're going to read the, about the guilt offering in Leviticus 5.14. And it just happens to go through from uh, verses 14 to, to chapter 6, verse 7. By the way, next week's going to be really exciting because we're going to look at the priests. And we get to see all the cool symbols in what the priests wore. And a lot of you right now are like saying, finally! Because you've been itching to look at that for like years now, right? Some of you, yeah. You go to Ross every time and you try to find the high priest tunics and it's not there. You're like, maybe it's at TG Maxx. I'll find it and I'll bring it next week. No. So it's some good stuff. I can't wait for that one too. So let's, let's read this very quickly. I don't want you guys to die on your feet here. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says this. The Lord said to Moses, when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things. Pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priests. Now the priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering. They will be forgiven. If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priests as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priests will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering they have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Secondly, or on uh, chapter 6, the Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor or if they find lost property or lie about it or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when the sin in any of these ways and real... or I'm sorry, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found, or whatever it was they swore falsely about. All right, you may be seated. Now, there is a little more, but we'll get into it. It's a long passage, and there's a lot of stuff going on here. And if you were to highlight one word in the text there that really pops out every stinking time, it would be guilt. It's constantly being talked about. Guilt, 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 guilt. So what is going on here? Well, obviously, we're dealing with guilt. What I want to do is I want to parse out here, or I want to separate the difference between the guilt that we're looking at and the guilt that sometimes assaults us. First, two guilts here that I want to pick out. The first one is not the one we're going to look at today, but the first one, if you're taking notes, it's very simple. Guilt as a feeling. And you know what this is like. When I'm driving in a parking lot, Especially when I lived in the high desert, there wasn't as many people. And so I would be in the parking lot of, say, Target. We had a super Target right off the 15 there. And it was, if you go at a certain time, it was almost empty. And so you come to the obligatory stop sign that's in the middle of an empty parking lot. And if you're like me, even if it's not empty and you see no cars, I dance a happy dance when I go right through it and never stop. Ha ha! Yay! Go right through it. Because I don't care. Nobody's around. I don't feel guilty about that. Don't judge me. Don't look at me at that tone of, in that tone of voice. Seriously, we all do this, right? I, I don't feel guilty. Maybe you don't do that. My wife doesn't do it. And she would get very angry with me if I did do it. Um, but there's been times, I've, I've, you know, in the high desert too, especially, when you, there's very few stop lights. And when you, you know, stop at a stoplight at 11 o'clock at night, sometimes we'd be coming home from the church after a youth gig or something. There's a, the one stoplight that we had. And I'd stand it. Nobody's around! Nobody, you can look for miles, no cars, nothing. And it's like, 
take off, right in the middle of a red. Some of you are like, how could he do that very easily? And I didn't feel guilty about it. (laughs) Not at all. But in reality, I was guilty. I didn't feel guilty, right? But I, but I was. Now that, that brings us to that second part, guilt as a reality. And this is what we want to look at today. We want to look at the reality of the guilt that is truly or really hitting us. I, I felt guilty for throwing away food from my mom. But the truth is, if I don't like it, I shouldn't... In, in reality, I'm not guilty about those feelings I had. Now, I'm guilty of throwing away food. But the feelings I have were a lot more intense than just throwing away food. I mean, Americans, we do this all the time. We, we throw away 45 to 50% of all our food in, all, in, in totality of all America. This is why when people say we have a food crisis, I go, well, just check the dumpsters. We throw away more than we eat, practically. So we're not necessarily feeling guilty about that, and I shouldn't have to feel... But I felt way more guilty than the reality was. Like my wife, who, when she feels guilty about something, I have to remind her, really, you're not. And how many of us struggle with this, right? We do this. We just do. So the guilt condition here is interesting in the, in, in the Hebrew. And I want to I look at this, but the word is kakash. Okay, it's a great word. Say that with me. Kakash. Doesn't that sound great? Some of you, are, you, you I love Hebrew because it's very gutter. And if you were to really, it'd be kakash, right? You'd have to get it out there. But the idea of the kakash in, in the guilt offering, or the, uh, um, this whole idea, is pulling a scam. Okay? It, it's scanning someone or scamming someone to, to grow lean, insufficient, to disappoint, to cheat. That's the word that's used here. And see, the idea is super simple. It just basically means that when you pretend to be something you're not or act in a way that is not you to get what you want or need with others, you've kakashed. You've pulled a scam. You you feel the guilt. This This is everyone, by the way. We all pretend. We all distort. We all do what's needed to get what needs to get done. You get what I'm saying? I've had over 50 jobs in my day in my short lifetime. You've heard me talk about them before. Some of them were pretty crazy. Some of them were, yeah, not fun. I was a process server. That was really fun. I don't know if I ever, I'll, one day I'll tell you about those stories, but I'd show up to somebody, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, you've been served, and they'd try to shoot me. That wasn't fun. So, get out of here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just the messenger. You're the deadbeat not paying your bills. Um, no, I, I'm surprised I haven't been served yet. Um, but, I had a lot of jobs, and, and, one of the, and one of the main reasons I had a lot of jobs is because I really loved the interview. I love the interview. I'm almost an addict with a job interview. If you guys ever have a job interview you don't want to go to, and they don't know your face yet, let me go for you. Be like, you are Betsy? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, because I love interviews. I love to sit down and just convince those people that I'm the right man for the job. I don't know what it is. I just love to. Because it was a challenge to me. You get what I'm saying? I would sit there, and I didn't always do so well in the writing or whatever it was, but as soon as I sat down, 98% of the time they would hire me. And, and, and not because I'm some, wow, so amazing. No, I just, I love the challenge of telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. And I always knew exactly what they wanted to hear. You know what I mean? And, and, and this was invariably what would happen. They would look at my my thing that I would fill out, you know, like the, the, the little sheet that says, this is how many hours you can work, this is your name, social security number, all that stuff. And then we get to the hours you can work, and every time I would fill out those sheets, I would say, four in the morning till 12 o'clock at night, Monday through Sunday. 
Like, man, are you ever going to sleep? Never. You hire me, I'll work all the time. I'll get hooked on drugs just to be here. I will. I, I live to work. Can I start today? You know, I would just do that. Now, but this is the thing. Even though I put that, I found out once you're hired, they spend all that time on you. About a week later, they would say, well, now you said you can work. Yeah, I said that, didn't I? Well, I'm hired now. I really can't work Sundays. They'd look at me and go, oh. Yeah, things changed. No, things didn't change. I just put on the application that I could work then, but I knew in reality I couldn't, but as soon as I got the job, I was more trouble than it was worth, and so they would just be like, okay, fine, you guess I can't work Sundays. You see, I kakashed. I, I took what was on the application and I changed it around so as to be more bankable, to be the person they wanted to hire. And again, don't look at me that way. <laughs> I feel guilty about it, but how many things do you do? We all do. See, we kakash to tell the people what they want to hear to get what you need. And so the guilt piles up. See, the student tells the teacher, Oh gosh, Miss Johnson, I would really love to turn in that uh, report. But the truth is, and then they begin to say what the truth really isn't, but it sounds really good so that Miss Johnson will give them another week or another day or whatever it is, right? Or... How many of you have been there and the friend comes in from out of town or maybe the family member or gosh darn it, you just want to catch up on that Twilight Zone marathon and you call up work and say, man, I am sicker than a... Oh, excuse me! And you begin to tell them how sick you really are when you really aren't just so you can do what you want to do. Uh, the, the, The spouse that that never truly shares their true feelings because they would rather die then deal with the elephant in the room so they sacrifice the momentary peace and they keep that from the other spouse. You see how deep this goes? Guilt is just a perpetual thing we're constantly dealing with and sweeping under the rug. And God is calling us to follow Him, holding nothing back. That's what this offering is all about. To be real with the reality of what we're creating on a daily basis. See, when God speaks, the universe is created. When we speak, halitosis comes out. (laughs) Bad breath. Lies. We hold back. This is the truth. And so the worshiper here is in this offering is to deal directly with their guilt. So what this, uh, this offering shows is, again, if you're taking notes, first thing I would show is that we can't scam God. We can't scam God. When anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regards to any of the Lord's holy things. Now, what are the holy things? If you remember from what we've been going through with the book of Leviticus, the holy things are basically all of the offerings we've been setting up. So if anybody has not sought God first, can I just raise my hand on that? If anybody has not served others like we were called to, right here. If anyone has had secret sin, right here. If anybody, I mean, you just go through the last offerings we dealt with. Sharing in his kingdom and sharing with what you have with others. We're all guilty. And so here we come to this, this offering that says, the last offering that says, okay, so pretty much we didn't do what God called us to do. We didn't live with others as God called us to live with others. We share. We didn't. We held back. God says, this is the opportunity. Holding nothing back. Being real with our guilt and dealing with it. See, you scammed everyone else, but not God. Everyone else thought you were legit. 
you even thought you were doing the right thing, but you realize that, you're, that you didn't. Um, by the way, we get a great parallel of this in Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats. Both the sheep, both the goats go, we, we, what? They're both a little surprised. And God goes to the goats and says, you didn't, you didn't. And they go, when didn't we? Because they were, they were scamming and they didn't even know it. And God holds them to an account and says, you can't scam me. You can't scam me. I want to point you to a very simple story in the book of the New Testament, in the book of Luke. It's Luke 19. And this is a great reference. If you guys want to see the guilt offering played out in a story, in real life with Jesus, we can look at this in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, with Zacchaeus. This is the guilt offering in life. Now, we see, if you guys remember Zacchaeus, now Zacchaeus, uh, as Jesus was going on to Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins, to deal with our guilt, he goes through Jericho first. And there's a huge crowd because he's doing all these miracles. There's a huge crowd, and so Zacchaeus, uh, he was a wee little man, right? We know that song, how many of you sang that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, was he? Anyway, and so old... Uh, Bible, vacation Bible school song there. And, and uh, Zacchaeus, because he couldn't see, he climbed up a sycamore tree. He climbed up a tree so he could see. Now, he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. They were known for their kakash. In fact, so much so for their scamming of their own people, their own family, they were not allowed to go into the temple because tax collectors were so unclean they could not go into the temple to worship God. They just couldn't. If a tax collector was... See- and everybody knew the tax collectors, by the way. So they'd say, oh no, Zach, you can't come in here. Get out of here before I get the temple guard to run you through. Literally, they would kill them before they could get into the temple. Because their own presence in the temple would make the temple unclean. And how dare he, this tax collector, who's kakashed his whole life with these people, come in here. You talk about disregarding the holy things. It was Zacchaeus. Now, this is the interesting thing, though. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree and calls him out. I love this part. If you look in, uh, in verse 5 and 6, Jesus looks at him right in the eyes and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, imagine thousands and thousands of people all around Jesus. I mean, it's so crowded, Zac has to climb up a tree. And he's in a tree kind of hiding, just looking to see Jesus because he wants to see him. And Jesus looks right up at him. Says Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. See, this is crazy. Jesus knew him. Jesus doesn't call many people out by name. There's very few people that are called out by name by Jesus. He would say, You, or that person. He, he wouldn't call them by name very much. And this is one time where Jesus calls this sinner, this kakash extraordinaire by name. Everybody hates him. Filled with guilt. And yet Jesus knew his name and says, I'm coming to your house. Again, a rabbi going to the house of a sinner was never done. Never He couldn't even go into the temple, let alone a rabbi who was supposed to be clean, of all clean, coming into his house. This is huge. Scandalous. In fact, if you look at verse 7, all the people saw this. This isn't just the religious leaders. This is everybody. Everyone is looking at Jesus going, what is he doing? You could almost hear the tension in the crowd, right? You can almost cut it with a knife where everyone went, and people are talking, what is Jesus? What? With that turd? Zacchaeus? That thief? 
that, that jerk, I mean, you could just hear it in the crowd, just the murmurs going around. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why? Why? Is it, is it that Jesus was scammed? He, he didn't really know this was a bad dude? No. He knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. Everybody else did. See, I want to point you to something simple. God sees us and moves towards us in our guilt. See, when we're guilty, what do we do? We have a tendency to do this. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go to church today. I'm a scumbag. Yeah, I'm not going to pray. I just don't feel it. Yeah, I did this, and so I'm going to go and wallow. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Why read my Bible? I'm such a, I'm such a bad dude. I'm such a bad dudette. That's what we do. That's the truth. Maybe you don't call yourself a dudette, but, but the truth is, we just, we run away. We escape. We don't go towards. And see, that's the thing that it amazes me about Jesus. He knows you can't scam him, and he sees and moves in. Regardless of the stank of the kakash on Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, see, this is what happens when this happens. When he goes to his house, Zacchaeus stood up in the middle of his house and said, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. I have cheated anybody out of anything and I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. I love that. He includes him in the Abrahamic covenant, which he would have gotten. He says, you know what, because by the way, when he um, talks to the Pharisees, the religious elite, he says, you're not sons of Abraham, you're sons of the devil. (laughs) And he takes this guilty scam artist and says, you are a true son of Abraham. You are a true son of Abraham. For the why... Because the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was guilty. He knew it. And we're all guilty like Zacchaeus. But Jesus sees us and comes to us. He's not afraid of your stuff. He's not ashamed of you. The guilt offering is not to make us more guilty, but to deal with the guilt and set us free. Amen? Another point we need to see is if you look at verse 16 in the book of Leviticus, there, there is this money being given to the priests because they have been frauded, it says, by the worshiper. But in 18, there is no restitution. This whole thing is about restitution, right? When, when you've hurt somebody or you've stolen from somebody, or you've done this thing, you make restitution. You make restitution. And that's, that's that simple word of you pay back. You pay back. But when it says you, you, you frauded God... There's no restitution to be given to God. Why is that? Let me ask you a simple question. You don't have to answer it here, but you know, think about it in your mind. Is there anything that you can give to God to make your guilt go away? No. Our response to guilt is always to try and pay back or make it better. Right? If I'm guilty, if I feel guilty, it's like, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I give to God? Many churches are built on guilt. <laughs> Can I just say that? You see, I, I was a bad dude. I bought that $100,000 stained glass window and I put it in. <laughs> I'm good with God now. No. I bought those doors. I bought this stuff. I, why? Uh, it helped me out. No. You can't pay. See, if I were to put it out simply, it's, there's no sum that we could pay to God to be free of guilt. There's no sum we could pay. There's no sum because God sent His Son to pay. Amen? He pays our bill. He pays it. 
with the blood of His own one and only Son. And we need to realize that God wants us to come back to Him. And we don't need to come thinking we can buy our way or work our way out of our, out of our guilt. But how many of us do that? How many of us try to work ourselves out of our guilt? Well, if I And please, I'm just saying mine. I know you can't relate to me at all. But when I did something wrong, I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to read the Bible, now I'm going to pray, now I'm going to be good. And the more good I am, I know you don't struggle with this at all because every single one of you is perfect and you don't have guilt, but I do. And so, you know, I'll go, oh, I can't, you know what, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder, I'm going to do better, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to work for the Lord as much as possible and maybe then, no. We're all paupers. We're all homeless. With anything we have compared to the grace and love of Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners. In the book of Philippians, which we're going to be doing in in the middle of the year, I can't wait to go through the book of Philippians because we see Paul being so real and he says, you know what, all I have is is, is amounted to a pile of dung compared to the love and grace of Jesus Christ which he gives to me freely. Awesome stuff. So there's no sum We see this with Zacchaeus. He first received Jesus into his house. See, with his guilt, he could have said, no, Lord, you can't come into my house. Let me do something for you first. (laughs) See? But he doesn't. He receives Jesus. He brings him into his life and says, please, Lord, help me. I'm guilty. And as Jesus cleanses him, as Jesus comes into his home and does the work, then there's the response. Right? That's the response. I'm going to give back. And it's crazy because what does he do? He's bringing up the guilt offering. He's literally bringing up the guilt offering in Luke 19. But he says, I'm not going to only give back this. I'm going to give back everything. And it's not to get. It's because he's responding to what he's already been given. Jesus is in his home. Is Jesus in your home? Or are you keeping him out to keep giving out of your guilt so as to get him in? That ain't going to work. He wants to come in. So, if we're really going to be holding nothing back, we've got to let Him in. But how do we do this in the reality of our guilt with God and, and with people around us? Because isn't that where it all gets down to, is the people and our actions and our responses? So, first and foremost, I would say, we need to struggle with the people we have wronged. Verse 2, chapter 6 says, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them, or left in their care, or about something stolen. See, I was totally watching your car. I was watching it. I mean, my eyes were fixed to it. I had those little things that were keeping it open, and I was sitting there, and I turned away for one second, and 19 ninjas came in and beat the crud out of me. Took your car. I'm so sorry. I lost your car. It wasn't my fault. I I beat 18 out of 19 ninjas for you, my friend. But they, they overwhelmed me. No, the truth is some 16-year-old punk came along, opened the car door that was already open, that you left because you were inside getting a double mocha frappuccino latte thing, and, you, and they took it. See, the, the, the lawnmower I, I borrowed from you, I, I, I stored it in my... No, you forgot it outside. And someone came along and took it. And yet you're trying to represent. See? Or how if, if they cheat their neighbor? Uh, I know that, o- that old car of yours is, is going to fall apart. I mean, come on. It's, it's the window, everything. It's horrible. Tell you what I'm going to do. Anybody ever says that, you just watch out, okay? <laughs> but he says, tell, tell you what I'm going to do. I will buy that car off of you for like 100 bucks. 
take it off your hands. You'll have a hundred bucks. Why not? Right? And you'll have some money. And the truth is, that person knows that they could sell that car because it's collectible and they don't even know it for like 18 times as much. Or if they find lost property and lie about it. My brother once helped my mom clean. Um, we used to help her every now and then when we have a day off. And my brother was cleaning. And my brother's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm only telling you this story because we all make mistakes. My brother, one time he was cleaning. He was cleaning in the cushions of like a seat. And he opened it up and there was a $100 bill. Lucky day. Hallelujah. For a 15-year-old boy, $100 bill back in the 80s. <laughs> you could buy like a lot. Not today. You could buy a candy bar. But back then, money was worth something, all right? And so he took that, didn't tell my mom, put it in his pocket. Finders keepers, right? No. No. You're just as guilty. Or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit. See, and if I'm to be honest, he came back and I found out he found 100 bucks. And what he did was say, hey, I'll get you something nice. And so I said, sure. And when my mom came to us and said, um, did you guys find any money? Did your brother find it? No, Eric didn't find any money because I was going to get something nice. <laughs> so I kept it quiet too. Still wrong. We all do this. We all scam. And this is where we get our guilt. We need to take the steps to make it right with our brothers and sisters. So what are the steps? Okay, well, when they sin in any of these ways and they realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion and trusted them, a lost property. It goes through this whole litany of what you do. You need to respond, right? You need to struggle with those people. You need to make it right. See, and what he's saying in this is you not only pay back the amount, but you, you also pay back 20% extra all before you make the offering. The reason is God wants us to hold nothing back. What's interesting is we have this whole aspect, again, of the guilt offering. And this is why I love going through the Old Testament, because you see it just again in the New Testament. But Jesus, in Matthew 5, when he says this great thing, and he says, and when you are at the altar, about to give your offering, and he's talking about the guilt offering here, he's alluding to it from a Leviticus standpoint, and he says, and you're about to give that gift, and you realize that your brother or sister has something against you. See, it's not you have something against them, it's they have something against you. Oh, I've kakashed. He says, leave your offering right there. Go and make it right. Go to the brother or sister. Make it right. Because God's not going to hear you. God's not going to listen to you. If you're just trying to scam God, you need to go struggle with that person. This is what the guilt offering is all about. We must struggle with and deal with those people in our lives first. So you might be saying, hey, you know what, Chris, this is great, but last time I checked, I haven't stolen a car from anybody or you know, done anything like that, right? Last time I stole a car was a couple weeks ago. So I'm good for now. But, you know, the truth is, how many of you are really worried about stealing? I mean, you haven't stolen much, right? But let me just say, and this is this last part, I just want to point this out. Stealing comes in many forms. And the Jewish people understood this. It wasn't just stuff. See, we steal from people all the time, and it's not just stuff. I want to point you to four things that we steal on a daily basis. We steal respect. Some of you have kids. You know exactly what I'm talking about. People in authority, parents, some of you have employers. <laughs> we try to steal respect from them all the time. How about officials? You know, you might not agree with the politicians. I don't. But are we respecting them or are we stealing from them? Because gosh darn it, they're a bunch of turds. 
that's what we do, right? And instead, we don't give them a respect that's due. See, when you're stopped by a police officer, if you're smart, you give respect. Because <laughs> they can cuff you. But sometimes you can get away with it with your boss. Sometimes you can do it right in front of their face. Can I just say I've had a lot of bosses in my day and I've stolen respect like you wouldn't believe? Because when you're around the water cooler and the boss isn't around, we have a tendency to talk about the boss and steal the respect. I will continue to ignore and disrespect my parents until they shape up. No, no, the Bible, the Bible says we don't steal from and take them their, their respect just because they deserve it or they don't deserve it. See, Jesus respected those that even slapped him in the face and beat him half to death and left him naked. He respected them. That's a tall order. Secondly, we can steal truth. See, when we lie to anyone to be seen better or to get away with something, man, we do this all the time, don't we? You don't like your job, but there's so-and-so that you're meeting and you haven't seen for a long time, or maybe you're at a high school reunion, and you talk up your job like it is, uh, you know, assistant to Bill Gates, right? Or it's like, I work for Obama. Or, I mean, it's the craziest, awesomest job ever. And it's not really, but why do you say that? Because you really don't want to tell the truth about the job you're working. You, you get what I'm saying? So you steal. You steal it. Or when you're on that date and you tell that person all those things that aren't necessarily true. Because if they knew the truth, they might not like you. So you take from them. See, Jesus always spoke the truth and never held back. How about the third thing? Dignity. We take this a lot of times. And some of you are passive-aggressive about taking people's dignity. You don't do it in front of their face. That's the hard thing. <laughs> you do it to the other people around, right? I, I'm guilty of this. When I, I tease my kids with words or bad attitudes, I take their dignity. That's not right. I do it. Can I just be honest? Brothers and sisters attack their own family in the same way, taking dignity. People that, that, that cut, cut you off or cut you know, us off on the freeway and tick us off so bad... We could take their dignity without them even knowing it because we call them so many names that if they knew what they called them... What's interesting is you can even go to different cultures. Uh, Rihanna has this really crazy story about in, in Thailand. They don't tell you to your face they don't like you. They don't go, you're a jerk. <laughs> but they'll say something even worse in an Asian culture. They say, may your parents die. You know, to, to us, I'm like, what? That's, what you, you don't even know my parents. But to them, that's like the worst thing ever. That's the worst thing ever. See, we can take dignity... We do this. Jesus was stripped and beaten, half naked on the cross. Continued to give dignity to every person that mocked him. Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Both thieves on the cross had grace extended to them. One accepted dignity. Regardless of their guilt, he reached out. Love, lastly, we don't act as we know we should. We don't represent love. We represent ourselves instead. Selfishness. When we hold back from our kids because we're too tired or wounded ourselves, we are stealing love from them. 
when we see the least, the last, and the lost outside our door, but we walk right past them, we have stolen love from our neighbor. Again, I just bring it back to Jesus because he's what we're all about. Jesus, Jesus gave himself for you and me, never holding anything back, holding nothing back, especially his love. We don't deserve it. Zacchaeus didn't deserve it. But Jesus came right into his home. The guilt offering, again, is simple. Not to make you feel guilty, but to deal with the guilt to set you free. Jesus came to set us free. Holding nothing back. Why don't we pray before we we jump into worship and offering? But I just want to encourage you right here. Jesus knows your name. And many of you, you're not heinous, crazy scam artists like Zacchaeus was. But you got guilt none the same. You've got guilt just like we all do. Heck, I I, I have to realize the amount of guilt I have just like you do. And it's not about condemnation. But it's about getting real with the Lord that that gave us and didn't hold back dignity, truth, love, and respect. So let's go before the Lord who held nothing back and gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You. Lord, we just, we just thank You that You didn't withhold anything. You're the Savior that held nothing back and You call us to nothing less but holding nothing back in our own lives. So help us here as we just get real and we say, where am I withholding respect? Where am I withholding truth? Where am I withholding dignity? Where am I withholding love? Where am I stealing these things? With my spouse? With my job? Lord, this is where the rubber meets the road. You're not, you don't call us to come once a week and just get our heads right. You call us to live in honesty and in relationship with you, seeking your kingdom first, inviting you in as Zacchaeus invited you in. So Lord, we just want to say that right now. And we have an opportunity in worship to give back to you. So we make our offerings right now. Lord, we don't want to just say, okay, here, I I, I give my tithe. Because it's so much more than just giving a tithe. Lord, it's our lives. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holding nothing back. This is our spiritual act of worship. To live tomorrow seeking you, serving others, sharing. We love you and we thank you. And right now as the ushers come forward, we just want to start with the little bit we have. But Lord, may this extend in our discipleship, in our life, as we give our days to you tomorrow, our calendars, our spouses, our relationships, our kids, everything we have. And may we not live for ourselves, but live for you, the one who came and lived for us, the suffering servant, Jesus, who got up on that cross, not because he was so excited to get whipped, but because he wanted to share the joy of the kingdom with us. And may we be the same and share that with others, holding nothing back. Bless your holy name, Lord. Help us. Deal with our guilt appropriately. And follow you in Jesus' name.
Amen.